Uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 32 through 34. Let, the Christ, let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And, with, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Our next reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I'm calling an audible. It'll actually be chapter 23, 38 through 47. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged aloud railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that to the day that shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was the six, about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the Mother's Day shout-out is in John nineteen twenty-six through 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. All right, so happy Mother's Day, Resurrection. As appropriate for for moms in the audience, we're going to talk today about your favorite thing to talk about, your ingrate children. I'm one, but you are one, and we have all been one at one point or another. And spoiler alert, the Bible has quite a few of these, and even our Lord and Savior had his bratty moments. What comes to mind is the excoriation of money changers and Pharisees at the temple, and of, and of course what we just read where he rails at his father saying, My God, my God, why that hast thou forsaken me? In this, even Jesus, being fully God but fully human, experiences an outcry at parental authority, that father that destined him to die on the cross. Now, Americans, I'm going to go out on a limb here, at least in their current state, are reflexive haters of authority. Our nation, after all, formed from telling a monarch with divine right and the government formed in his majesty's name to kindly shove it. And and rebellious children in all their forms have largely dominated popular culture in our lifetimes. Jazz musicians, rock musicians, rappers, caddish movie stars and starlets, cowboys, gangsters, various people with tattoos, investigative journalists, these are so often the heroes of the age. 
They often share a smart-alecky sneering contempt for authority with a snarky remark, a loud guitar, or a profane utterance as the most drawn-upon weapons against dominance. Now, those of you who know me, and this is for Trey and Chris, I have watched my Simpsons DVDs way too many times. So many times, in fact, that I started watching them with the writer's commentary on and came dangerously close to memorizing that. But one particular thing I remember from commentary on the early seasons is that many, if not all, of the early writers and creator Matt Groening said a formative youth experience was watching the coverage and resolution of Watergate. This, for those, for those who don't know, that was the takedown of President Richard Nixon. This event, the takedown of a sharply unpleasant, duplicitous man of power, largely forms the discursive universe of The Simpsons. In that world, for those of you who haven't viewed it, all men in authority are totally corrupt and competent idiots, fully undeserving of the, po- of the power they hold and fully deserving of constant undermining by Bart, Homer, or Lisa. Here is some good news for Mother's Day. The only consistent moral actors on that show are Marge and Lisa. Women are the only hope in Springfield. Women are the only hope for good and justice in that world, and men are drawn kicking and screaming towards the good by their love for these women, more often than not. Our relationship with authoritative institutions of all kinds has certainly grown dim in the wake of Watergate. In my 41 years, I certainly don't remember ever hearing at a dinner conversation, man, you know who are great guardians of civilization? Lawyers. Or, boy, the media is really objectively getting it right. Or, wow, teachers are so enriching of our kids' lives, you know what they deserve? More money. Everyone in the abstract particularly those in positions of authority, are more and more thought of as scoundrels and thieves, to be stymied and snarked at. The question is far too seldom, what can we do to help our institutions and their actors? And instead, far too often, what can we do to hobble those jerks in charge? I did Sound at Cat's Cradle for an artist this last week, and that show was pretty much nothing but screaming profanity backed by industrialized noise combined with invitations to raise middle fingers into the air and keep them raised. I can understand and sympathize with this anger, but can no longer support it. It gets us nothing because it refuses to ask for help and offer it in return. Adolescent snark is like any drug, a quick dopamine hit that over time corrodes the soul. My call today to all of us who are children children, is not to completely quell our rebel impulses, but it is to ask you to recognize that God and Christ work through us, their people, in the Holy Spirit every day, and that rather than raising a fist to authority, a helping hand may be more appropriate. Maybe the Romans just needed a hug. (laughs) Maybe Pilate just needed a big, you know, come here. The criminals in our passage today from Luke are really a parallel to to a realization in the mind. One is the reflex we have all learned through our culture to sneer at the incompetent who is useless to themselves and others. They are supposed to have authority to help. The other criminal embodies the realization that we are all trapped in sin and guilty of it, and a please, a simple please, in the ask of those in authority to remember us, gets the second criminal into the kingdom ahead of even the disciples. He remembers somewhere in the back of his mind what our mothers so often are the first to teach us. Please and thank you. So let's do what we do in Resurrection Church and go to the book, the case studies that show how those of our Abrahamic faith have wrestled with authority as brats. 
There is, of course, the original children, Adam and Eve, who touched that thing they were absolutely told not to touch. And every parent in here can sympathize with God's wrath, but every child in here, and again, we are all one, we are all one can sympathize with Adam and Eve too. The desire to taste, to know, to experience. Here's the thing with God's directives and commandments. They're not meant to make us miserable. They're meant to save us from misery. And, everyone, and anyone who has ever, as an adult, re-enjoyed parading nude in your own home when all others are away and don't like act like you haven't, right, should realize that Adam and Eve really screwed it up for the rest of us by eating that fruit. Sure, we can know things of good and evil, but now we also have to dress ourselves. God told us what to do to avoid that hassle, and we didn't do it. Score one for the parents. Their children fared even worse. Cain has the first really good bratty line of the Bible. I know not, am I my brother's keeper? And what of Jacob, the founder of Israel? Keep in mind, this guy gains the name Israel in a wrestling match with an angel who may or may not be God himself. Right here is a kind of wrestling with authority to establish position, and Jacob is constantly looking to undermine traditional structures, primogeniture, patriarchy, inheritance, staying with family, and so on. I'm expecting a Freudian question from you about this afterwards. David, also, like Trey said this morning, kind of a brat. He comes to power largely by usurping the authority of the powerful. Goliath, Saul, and Saul's sons. The wages of his bradiness are the death of many, including his beloved son Absalom, himself a traitor to his father. Yet, yet, his, father, yet his father David mourns Absalom deeply. And finally for Trey, Jonah, the brattiest of prophets, first not willing to do what God tells him to in prophesying to Nineveh, and then sulking like a teenage boy when God does not exterminate an entire city. Seriously, dude, you need to grow up. <laughs> Yet these are all God, children of God and human alike. We are all of God and we, lo- and we love our children even when they are ungrateful and treacherous. If we all embody the breath of God through the Holy Spirit, then is not God's love for all his children so much greater than ours? But then, is there ever punishment for the brats? And the answer, of course, is yes. But it's not God's punishment to me so much as the natural result of sinful actions. Think of this simple parental injunction. It's for your own good. This is the word of God. God's directives are for our own good. Not so so much his direct glory and honor, but our own well-being and peace first, which does honor our Lord. This well-being and peace, as we will see, comes from asking, not demanding or taking or tempting. What I'm getting at is our simple asking for that which is for our own good. It is there to have if wanted. Jesus uses brats and parables in two particularly notable parables involving two sons. One is unimagin- you know, unimaginatively tight referred to as the parable of the two sons. And the other is the parable of the prodigal son. In the first, Jesus asks which of two sons does his father's will, the son who refuses an order but then thinks better of it and performs the assigned task, or the son who says yes to the order but does nothing. Now make no mistake, both are brats in their own special way, as all our children are brats in their own special ways. But Jesus clearly implies parental preference for the son who rebels and thinks better of that rebellion later. We can hear echoes of this in death of a, Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. It's the rebellious questioning Biff that Willie Loman loves, while the spineless, philandering yes-man, happy Loman is more or less affectionately tolerated. 
But this parable is also instructive in a way that will lead up to my passage from Luke for the day. Christ values a struggle in coming to his kingdom, an internal wrestling with one's obligations under Christ's grace. It is for your own good. To merely say yes and not enter the, enter the kingdom under obligation is worth less than nothing. Two brats are present in the, two brats are present in the prodigal son parable as well. And the first is the famous one, the, the one that blows half his father's fortune on intemperate living. This one hits bottom and comes to repent and does not even ask to be recognized as a son, but as a servant. This notion, of course, is obliterated in the joy of the father, wishing to celebrate the son's return. Now, I'm going to be a little cheap and critical here. Of course, pride's easy to forget in hunger, and repentance is easily to mobilize with hunger. The greater struggle against brattiness actually lies in the mind of the second son. Again, the desire for judgment, swift and harsh, really directly harms the good son. It, after all, keeps him from the feast, from the party, from the kingdom. Pride here is shown as the greatest vice against humility, which is always the greatest virtue. Now think, but everyone think for a second, how hard, even after his father's pleading, it must have been for that good son to enter that feast. Stare at that disgraceful ingrate, watching him eat calf and drink wine as he had with so many harlots before. Yet to the good son, you could say, just because someone has feasted before you is no good reason not to enjoy the feast in front of you now, and always in grace. Here is in other places, Christ implies that the real struggle to enter the kingdom must be waged in the minds and hearts of those that think themselves righteous. It is only with acknowledgement of a different but no more, no more privileged seat in their possession at the table that those who think themselves righteous will in fact be saved. Forgiving your brother, participating in the feast of all, it's for your own good. The struggle in the souls of all of us is therefore played out in binary oppositions often, such as this. But the kingdom is available to both sides if they want it, if they ask for it with the grace of the Holy Spirit and not in human vanity and pettiness. Forgive the slow build, but now given this brief history of biblical brattiness, we can approach my favorite passage ever. Imagine, now again, imagine, close your eyes, imagine the lives of those criminals on the cross with Jesus, probably desperately poor, abused, crucified, now next to in their minds, Yet another humbled, fraudulent holy man, another false prophet, given grim and appropriate mocking from Pilate as, here's the king of the Jews, ha ha. Life for these men is a Simpsons episode without the funny, is life of Brian without the funny, where every man at every turn is a worthless impediment to these criminals' own good. Authority here and its total failure to provide the good can be spat on with impunity in the face of death. Now, the miniseries Jesus of Nazareth from the late 70s displays this bit best to me. The actor giving a snarling, adolescently bratty reading, think Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club, of his line that I can only kind of approximate. If you are who you say you are, why don't you save yourself, huh? And us. And then the dialogue, sorry, moves literally across the scaffold through Christ to the other criminal, Christ saying nothing. The second criminal becomes self-aware and aware of he next to whom he dies through the experience of Christ Jesus. And upon his realization, he simply asks Christ for acknowledgement, not wrath or transfiguring miracles. Jesus, 
remember me when you come into your kingdom. He realizes what is for his own good. This is the before and after of our own souls given grace on one side and the other, both physically and spiritually, of the experience of Jesus. This is the moment we must all come to ourselves. Christ is not there to be demanded upon or tempted. He is there to be accepted. As our, as our sin, individual and collective, is also to be accepted and repented. The most any of us have any right to ask is to be remembered. This moment, through Christ, is where we stop being brats and start being human beings. Breathe through by the Holy Spirit. The struggle against and for authority and the pride that it engenders, the humility it suffocates, always eventually leads to madness and death. God's kingdom requires aid from us, not a middle finger, not a raised fist, but a helping hand and a transformed soul. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Good for that bratty criminal. And yet, Christ leaves and has left until he chooses to return. And we are left with only each other, choosing with every act to be brats or be holy. And forgive me for skipping around Gospels and in the Bible in general today, but as a good brat, it's my party, and I'll skip if I want to. God and Christ through the Holy Spirit depend on all of us to welcome the kingdom as we would welcome our children, our parents. And I don't think it's an accident that as he leaves, he entrusts the care of a disciple to the mother that raised him. Thus he leaves John with Mary, his mother. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And and takes care of her just as she would take care of him. We must all then in that realization of our own moment on the cross come to be children and be parents of all for the kingdom to arrive on earth. Bratty tantrums against those in authority do not bring the kingdom. Being good, loving sons, mothers, daughters, and fathers to all our Lord's children and parents will. It's for your own good. Happy Mother's Day. Amen.